You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Okay, so we had an episode that went into the Nebraska 2nd Congressional District, the main 2nd Congressional District, and other esoteric of the 2020 election, like little things that aren't picked up in the media and, and don't have to do with the main headline of the 2020 election, which was an incumbent president losing and Trump losing. I mean, Biden winning. That's a that's a big enough news story to create such radiation that everything else gets obscured. So we talked a bit about that. I was thinking about that for a cast um, just to do on the um, Patreon and premium podcast sites. It's such a difficult choice at times. And I do think that something had to be on the uh, podcast about the 2020 election because those questions would come up anyway, and it's sometimes difficult to navigate. Uh, However, like any other episode, there's always leftovers. And so there were some things I didn't get to in that episode that might be interesting to talk about. One thing I just left on the legal pad there was Joe Biden has never lost a general election that he's been in, and he's been involved in politics since the late 60s. Now, of course, the primary in 1988, he had to back out of, uh, and he lost the 2008 primary. In effect, he wasn't even talked about too much. It was almost like he was running to be a VP contender then, right? Now, a lot of that has to do with the fact that he's representing Odell Ware. But we have an interesting fact even there. He's very popular in Delaware. However, I think over time, you also build up some opposition because Joe Biden does better actually in Hawaii. Vermont, and Massachusetts than he does in Delaware, where he gets 66, 65, 63, and in Delaware gets 58%. Uh, I didn't get a chance to talk about, so 538 is always a lot of attention on Nate Silver. So this is what Nate Silver said right before the election. So let's see how right he was. Joe Biden is favored to beat President Trump, although Trump still has a 1 in 10 chance. Democrats have a three and four shot of taking back the Senate, and the House will most likely remain under Democratic control. Democrats might even expand their majority by a few seats. The picture is clear. The overall electoral environment favors Democrats, which is one reason they have decent odds of controlling the presidency, Senate, and House. A 72% chance, according to to our forecast. Of course, there's always the chance of a polling error, which tends to be correlated from state to state when it happens. Trump needs a bigger than normal error in his favor, but the real possibility that polls are underestimating Trump's support is why he still has a path to win re-election. 10% chance of winning is not a 0% chance. And here's how Nate Silver explains it. In fact, it's roughly the same odds that it's raining in downtown Los Angeles. And it does rain there, right? 365 and 36 rainy days in L.A. I can remember um, going to the airport once in L.A., um, heading out on a rainy day. I don't think it rained forever, though, and it wasn't enough to stop the flight. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, so Nate Silver, you can understand why all those caveats right before the election because of what happened with 2016. And so he's right on the main point. Joe Biden favored to win, beat President Trump, and he does. Um, three to four shot at taking back the Senate. Well, some of those Senate races, Iowa in particular, North Carolina, just didn't turn out to be so well and favored to take back the House, maybe even gain seats. Well, they did, um, I should say, favored to keep the House 
Uh, Democrats did keep the House, but it was a very tight thing. So I think that um, uh, Nate Silver needs to revise some of his models here. And this idea of these probabilities that something's going to happen are just – he's either got to tweak them or he's got to present it in a different way because it's just not – you know, you have two big elections here where that's not turning out to be the case. I mean, I guess he's right on the one in 10 chance. I'm not going to hit up on that. But three and four shot of taking the Senate just seemed to be off. 72% chance of all things happening. Senate, House, and uh, presidency just seems to be off. Um, well, okay. So not a big deal. Uh, we don't want to bash on Nate Silver. I think like I – just, I just don't like the idea of applying the probabilities to these elections. And I think if he goes through one more election having making these predictions – um, there's going to be a lot of uh, hatred spewed um, his his way, which maybe isn't his fault. So that's what I'll say about Nate Silver. On the point of um, did Trump's supporters not show up in polls? I don't know. The polls seem to get things fairly right. What I think is a factor that can't be picked up well in polls is what turnout will be. So what Republicans have become very good at is turning out kind of surplus votes, like in counties that are going to go Republican overwhelmingly, they have over many years and over many different candidates running been able to turn out some of that vote. And Trump in particular is a vote getter for Republicans, just not as many votes as Democrats can get out, you know, nationally. But in many states, uh, Trump is a turnout booster for Republicans, seems to create a kind of crusade that will get somebody who otherwise wouldn't vote out to vote. They might live in a county where none of the county government's going to change, maybe none of the state government's going to change, but they'll um, vote for their for the man. So, you know, that may be a factor that he wants to look at more than just people answering polls and saying they're not going to vote for Trump when they are. Um Big turnout, looking like 66%, which would be the most in history since the various amendments like the 19th Amendment and the 26th Amendment, which has enlarged the electorate. Huge. Um, 2016 was 59%, which was also huge. You had um, – this has been going up, though, this general trend, uh, a little bit down in 2012. But 57% turnout in 2008, 56 in 2004. This has been an upward trend. And I think young people stayed out of elections and increasingly, at least in presidential elections, they are voting in great numbers. Obviously, mail-in voting and other early voting and conveniences helps. Um, now, of course, you're going to see that under attack. But to me, as long as you're able to line up Votes to citizens who exist, um, there's no reason in a democracy why that electorate should not be enlarged and why the turnout shouldn't be a good thing. Uh, look at Texas. I didn't get a chance to talk about it on the other cast, but 46.5%, so say 47%. That's the highest Democrat vote since Carter won the state in 1976 with 51%. Okay? Because in the past, you've had um, Gore gets 37%, Clinton gets 43 in a three-way split, but in 96, but Perot didn't get too much in 96. 
Uh, Obama gets 38%. Um, you know, Dukakis even gets uh, 43% there in 1988. But 47% is is about as high as, as what you've, you've seen. And um, comparing to Carter's 1976 victory in the state, it's very different from Biden's 47%. Carter's getting 51% from all of the rural counties and losing Harris County, losing Houston, and losing Dallas and Dallas County in the 76 election. Biden obviously wins those counties overwhelmingly if you know, and I've, I've reviewed the numbers in Texas and, you know, obviously it's much closer. It's a big improvement from the Democratic vote in 2016 and Biden's was an improvement over Clinton's in 2016, but it's still a very tough state. It's a hard to imagine a win without significant increase in turnout in um, Harris County. And that's the county that encompasses Houston, where the Democrats really had a strong uh, kind of unchallenged turnout, a margin for Democrats is in Austin and all of those surrounding counties. So um, that's where they will need to look that and in Houston for additional growth in the future if this state was to be turned. But it's a large state and there's a lot of other um, Republican counties counteracting the growth of Dallas Um, which is a primary change in the state. North Carolina, 48.6%, nearly 49% for Biden. It's a pretty pretty strong growth. I mean, Kerry gets 43% in 2004. Uh, Obama wins the state, 49.7%. Democrats just got 41%. So Dukakis gets 41% in 1988. So you're seeing a growth there. Um, And the real question for Democrats, is this just a Trump thing? And for Republicans, too, is this just a Trump thing? There was some opposition to Trump, or is this state getting out of your hands? You, you've you managed to escape from defeat in 2016 and 2020, but is this representing a real change in the state, or was it just a reaction to one president? Overall, I mean, Republicans have a lot to celebrate despite losing the White House, uh, which was by the, you know, not unlike the 1884 election, I compared it to a race in which many Republicans were joining with the Democratic candidate, a high-profile Republicans, and might be celebrating that presidential win while still wanting their guys at the lower level of the ticket to win. So gubernatorial races, eight Republican wins versus three Democratic wins. A 66% vote for Biden in Vermont, along with um, an almost an equal vote for Phil Scott, a Republican, as governor. Puerto Rico uh, votes for a um, new progressive party, which despite the name new is is an older party in Puerto Rican politics, but it is the statehood party. There are also a number of new parties that formed out of some of the recent turmoil over the hurricane and various other things going on. And, um, you know, there might be a change in coming in in politics in Puerto Rico, which has basically been dominated by two parties, but now is, um, you know, has a lot of other voices that are starting to win votes and seats there. Everything from very progressive people to um, to religious conservatives who are not tied with the other parties. 
Uh, you'll hear a lot of talk about Puerto Rican statehood as well as D.C. statehood. And that's an important difference to note, though. The cause of D.C. statehood is just about undisputed within the District of Columbia. Almost everyone supports it. You, you've seen the license plates, right? Um, it is different in Puerto Rico where there is more dissent about uh, statehood. However, the statehood party can win referendums and has won this election, but it's narrow. You know, you're looking at just a little over 50% in a lot of those questions. I'm Jane Perlez, longtime foreign correspondent and former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. I've been a foreign correspondent in lots of places, Somalia, Indonesia, Pakistan, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I mean, China is not dropping anti-democratic paratroopers into Montana. But of course, we did see things like the weather balloon slash spy balloon riveting the whole country for a week. This is Face Off, an eight-part series in which we'll take you behind the scenes to key moments in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. We'll speak with a diplomat, a spy, a tech reporter, a U.S. admiral, even Yo-Yo Ma. Plus, my pal and noted China historian Rana Mitter joins the conversation. We'll look at what's driving the two nations apart and explore whether anything can help bring them back together. Face-off launches April 9th. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more— we answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The Nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Oklahoma now has no Democratic congresspeople. Uh, Republican State Senator Stephanie Bice beats Kendra Horn. That was kind of expected. That was the only Democratic-held seat in Oklahoma. Let's see. The Green Party did not do nearly as well. Their vote was cut about in half from the 2016 election. The Green candidate got about 400,000 votes still. Its best state was Maine, 1% of the total, followed by Hawaii and Maryland. But those are looking at half a percent, and most states are under half a percent for the Green Party. They just happened to do very well, uh, well, well for them in Maine. Um, if, if, for instance, um, they performed in Maine the way in the nation, the way they performed in Maine, they would do as well as the Libertarians did this year. So just a kind of indication that, hey, there's still, though, uh, I imagine both Democrats and Republicans would love to look at that 400,000 vote and try to tap into it. And by picking certain issues, you can do that. That has been shown in history. You know, the Prohibition Party was traditionally getting a 200K vote. And after Prohibition passed nationally, that that vote went way down and never really came back up. 
So co-opting issues is a way that parties can reduce um, a vote of a third party. Um, what else do we have here? Okay, so Kanye West made a lot of news by entering the presidential race and then wasn't able to get on the ballot everywhere. He did get on the ballot in 12 states. So how did he do? About 60,000 votes uh, out of uh, about 160 million cast. So very low. He gathered the most votes, oddly enough, uh, 10,000 in Tennessee. So the Kanye West, which has sort of seemed to be formed in some cahoots with Trump, maybe to pull some votes away from Biden, uh, end up having the greatest impact in uh, Tennessee, where Kanye West's birthday party did the best. I generally think that joke candidates don't work, that candidates have to be serious to really pull votes, and you have to have some reason that people are disappointed with the opposition candidate that, uh, the, to, to really make it work. But there were, in this election, 1,213 people that joined Kanye West, in running in the election. Among them was another kind of TV star um, of, of sorts, uh, Brock Pierce, former child actor who'd appeared in the Mighty Ducks franchise and starred as the president's son in the 1996 comedy First Kid. Mark Charles is also a computer programmer, or who is of Navajo heritage, and wanted to run for that reason. But there's 1,200 people that ran for president in different ways, according to the FEC. California, Donald Trump loses big but gains 300,000 votes in Los Angeles. Of course, Biden gained 500,000 votes over Hillary Clinton. Trump also gains 100,000 in Riverside, Orange, San Bernardino, and San Diego. But so does Biden in those areas. So the vote for both parties increased. I presume that is from losing those the significant third party votes. So major parties in 2020, a story nationally and in California, reclaiming some of that Gary Johnson and Jill Stein vote and maybe bringing new people out to vote. Certainly Alaska, a little note that at 43 percent, Joe Biden has done better than any Democrat in Alaska since Lyndon Johnson in 1964, the last Democrat to carry the state in Iowa. Trump did better than expected and better than 2016, where he just edged out Hillary Clinton by 51% in this election, uh, 53%. Yeah. I, you know, I'm not sure. I think it's the culture wars kind of at issue there and the type of, um, you know, the type of politics in Iowa and Biden works better in a place like Pennsylvania than Iowa. And it looks like Hillary Clinton did better. I mean, Joe Biden's about 3% above um, Hillary Clinton in terms of the popular vote share. So certainly he approved, but he also, there was four years of a presidency to run against versus a kind of novel, interesting candidate, shiny object um, type thing. So it's hard to judge, but I guess my general comment would be made, Joe Biden made some improvement over Hillary Clinton as a Democratic candidate. But it would be a mistake to go too far with that, given the actual results on paper here. You know, um, you look at a state like like that, Iowa, and to say, well, he didn't, he didn't do as well there. In fact, Iowa's politics have changed to where there's currently a battle between the AG there, who did not want to join, of course, the 
Trump lawsuit to throw out the election. Tom Miller, the attorney general of Iowa, is a Democrat. But he also could not get the governor there, Kim Reynolds, to join in a lawsuit that would that would uh, oppose the Texas attorney general's lawsuit trying to overturn the election. And so that battle is continuing statewide between, and it's something I think you're going to see in many states between a Democrat, in this case a Democrat, in other states it's a Republican kind of um, defending voters' votes and the election results and others supporting what will soon be former President Trump in wanting to overturn those results and really calling him still the winner. So we'll see. Um, Kim Reynolds says, I have denied Attorney General Tom Miller's request to join an amicus brief that supports the defendants. While not given the opportunity, I would have requested that Iowa officially join in support of the lawsuit filed by the Texas Attorney General. As I have said all along, President Trump, his campaign, and supporters have every right to pursue lawful legal actions in the courts. You know, it's tempting to say that now all of our elections are going to end up with this with lots of lawsuits later. But I don't think on the Democratic side, there's as much interest in it. Certainly, um, my only commentary about some of these lawsuits, because I I think they're bizarre. And I really think particularly you have states where, you know, Michigan, there's over 100,000 vote difference. Other states is over 20. Um, And in politics, these these it's really hard to turn around uh, with recounts and the like. I mean, it's one thing to talk about Florida in 2000 where you're talking about 500 votes. It's another thing to entirely to talk about thousands of votes, which are, which are difficult. And that's why so many state election officials are just expressing a sigh over some of this um, post-election craziness. I don't think it, it – it helps. I think it's more of brand building for the future, martyr building. Um, look, Donald Trump throughout his career, I mean, he's made it clear, does not like losers, does not want to lose. Losing a presidential election is not where he wants to put his post-presidency. So it's going to be about martyrdom. It's going to be down, I really won. Um, but all of these votes appeared about nowhere. You know, all of that, um, fine. I do think there's a few points to make. One is that in 2004, there were a number of voices, let's say, I, I wasn't joining in those voices, but observed them at the time, that felt that there were problems in Ohio that should have been looked at. Um, certain districts that uh, the Bush vote increased too much. There were also uh, problems with provisional ballots being both distributed following Ohio state election law and also um being utilized correctly and being counted correctly. Uh, there were longer lines in Democratic districts than in Republican districts. And these were all things that some people were pointing out that could be the basis for a Kerry lawsuit. And he conceded the next day. There was no lawsuit. And I think that's the way um, generally these things are approached. But I would just say that, you know, right now there's only one side to these lawsuits. And if any of them were more successful in court, you could see a slate of counter lawsuits that just right now, if your guy is winning, you're not going to file. But obviously, if they had to, there would be court cases coming from the Biden campaign and there would be a little bit more 
um, asymmetry to this, um, to this particular, uh, post-election suing issue. Um, there are some lawsuits by the NAACP and other groups that about the long lines and voter, um, suppression that just aren't getting coverage and that are issues that should be more looked into. Probably, you know, it always takes me a long time to get into topics, but certainly voter suppression, the poll tax, um, civil rights are things that, you know, have a long history in the country and have indeed happened. Um, And so we're not seeing that side because right now it's about President Trump and his it's it's really the courts are his game and Biden's doing more of a defensive play. Why wouldn't you? Because once you start saying, okay, let's look into irregularities in Republican County, say, or in the state of Ohio, say, or things like that, you know, now you're getting into where you're actually questioning the election that you just won. So who wants to do that? Um, yeah, that's my thoughts. Um, so thanks for your support. I'm glad I was able to talk a little bit more about these issues. And um, I uh, really appreciate it. What do we got coming down the pike? Okay. Well, um, usually around this time, I have a little bit more time to do research than I normally do. As you know, I may know I work a full-time job, so I don't always have a – but I want to finish up the Arc of Commerce series to put that to bed with six, which would be about risk, which would be about insurance, and also a little bit back to the stock market um, and the like. And then also to start work on a podcast project, which I'm going to be doing throughout 2021 about the 1890s. So look out for that. I believe the name I'm settling on is a piece that you see on the Patreon site. It's a line from the Sears catalog, sell your horse, buy a bicycle. And I think it's just representative of what occurred in the 1890s. America became modern. American became mechanical and electrical and, um, you know, not digital yet. But um, and it's a good time to study for a lot of the questions we have. How did we get from the guys wearing the wigs? to the guys with smartphones, right? The 1890s are an important part of that story. And I think I just want to delve in and I have some, a couple of good reference books. I also think it's just something, uh, I've talked about it before, that I can do and others can't do right now. So let's do it. Thanks for your support.